Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. There was something about the moment that Johnny Walters practically fell over himself trying to avoid scoring a goal that made me think, this is a very specific dynamic to this football match that I'm attending. This is the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Owen Murphy and Ken. Hi, fellas. Hello. How are you? Uh, early in the first half, Robbie is running sort of laterally across the six-yard box trying to chase after a ball that has been squared to him but uh, has kind of evaded him. Walters arrives to tap it in, but no! He sees Robbie and immediately tries to just get out of the way and let Robbie get a 6-8 international goal. Eventually, Robbie does reach the ball, gathers it, and bla- I think he blasted that one against the defender's legs. He missed a couple, Robbie, before he, before he eventually got a 68th international goal. you got to buy a few tickets to win the raffle, usually. Yeah. Walters would have had an international hat-trick if he toured that. Well, uh, Robbie Keane blamed Walters. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. He said, I, I shouted for him to go for it, and I jumped out of the way, so... Yeah, they were kind of both jumping out of the way, yeah. He said, I thought, the, I thought the players were very professional about it. Their approach to the game. <laughs> there was obviously no disrespect to the opposition in the way that we approached that game. Uh, so, you know, John Walters should have taken it. Robbie Keane would have taken it. Um, and that's why uh, John Walters will never get to 68 international goals, uh, no matter how many games he plays. Uh, he got his goal at the end, though, Ken. He got two. No, I was oh, Robbie. I meant, I meant Robbie, yeah. Yes, um, very good goal. What a great goal, yeah. Best he scored in years. It really was. Yeah. Uh, it was almost like he was back in America. Gaza 96, is that what you were thinking when he did Gaza 96, Flicking Pele over. 58. Flicking it over Colin we've Henry. Seen, we've seen it done a few times. Um, uh, not too many times at Lansdowne Road. Uh, not ever the, that I can recall at Lansdowne Road before. So it was a very nice way to finish off. I mean, obviously against a team that was not really that good. <laughs> it was, That's it was a, putting it... That's putting it mildly, Ken. It was a sort of training session um, vibe to that game. Uh, a posh training session with 25,000 people. You were at the game. I was at the game, yeah. I was, I was Kieran sitting beside. How did you uh, find the atmosphere? That was pretty entertaining. Oman were just bad enough to mean that we could create a series of chances. And uh, certainly up until Robbie scored, it was all... You were just waiting for Robbie Keane to score. Yeah. And then, then he gets his goal early in the second. I thought the second half 
I was thinking, oh, this is just going to kind of die here. But then Robbie went off and everyone kind of got lifted because you got to show your appreciation for Robbie Keane. Oh, yeah. I would say that in the pantheon of truly awful Aviva atmosphere, oh, this, no, no, no. this is a footnote. No, no, say the Ireland-England friendly uh, about 18 months ago was well, it was the deadest atmosphere I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, 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 not, not even in a football ground. So compared to that, it was um, no, it was good. It was nice. It was like considering it's a half full ground, and I don't know what you made of that. I think David consi- Kelly in the in the Independent today yeah. criticizing Irish fans for maybe wallowing in the success of them being the greatest fans in the world again. It's oh man, and not coming to see Robbie Keane though was the point. There should have been more people there to. Well, loads of people came to see Robbie Keane. Practically everybody. I mean, well, no one else, no one would have been there if it wasn't for Robbie Keane. The point I mean, being made: why not? Why not fifty thousand? Well, not Ireland played oh man. How many were there? About twenty five thousand. Is that what we said? I didn't hear an official crowd out, but I'm guessing. I, I'm, I'm estimating it at about twenty five thousand based on the previous crowd for Dundalk that was there for thirty thousand. Um, it looked about 25,000 to me. I mean, it wasn't as... Uh, done first, the third tiers were pretty much full, but the second tier was completely empty, whereas last night it was more um, spaced out, mm-hmm. uh, or rather all, uh, across all three tiers. Um, the previous time that Ireland played Oman in Dublin, because um, we've also played them at, at Craven Cottage, we play them all the time. <laughs> um, you'd wonder why that is, because there's no point playing them in, in, in football terms. There's, it's it's a totally it's a pointless exercise. They're not good enough to provide meaningful opposition, and there's not really much of a point having them over in commercial terms either. It's not as though wow, you know, Neymar's playing at Lansdowne Road, you know, Messi's playing. Let's buy a ticket. It's oh man. Um, but for some reason, we play them a lot. Um, the last time we played them, it was the crowd was given at fourteen thousand three hundred. Although it didn't, it looked it looked like a generous fourteen thousand to me. It was, it was like a lot of these people must be sitting directly underneath me. <laughs> that that, that uh, lower section of the of the you know the the bottom tier just underneath that stand must be completely jammed because I'm looking around. I don't know where these fourteen thousand people are. So if you know almost twice that number turned up, then I guess Robbie Keane must have had something to do with that. And some some of it, I suppose, is to do with the fact that. After the Euros, maybe people are a little bit more interested in this team. You know, there's some, um, you know, I think I think there's new heroes. Robbie Brady getting a free kick yeah. is cause for great celebration because he's our new. But I mean, Oman hero. were a complete joke. Like they were a truly awful team. I mean, I will give them this: they're very balanced in defence. In that we utterly destroyed them on the left and also on the right. <laughs> I mean, it was one of these situations where go, we just get the ball to Robbie Brady, but it actually didn't matter because you do the exact same thing with Cyrus Christie on the other side, mm. and he could wallow in 40 yards of space completely unmarked, uh, regardless. I mean, Honestly, about I mean, 10 if this times... Was, if this was any kind of a fixture, they would have got thirty-five or 40,000, I think. You Honestly, I mean? about 10 times during the game, Murph turns and just... just I mean, what is... What why, is going why, on why, why are we playing home man again? <laughs> why am I here? What's going on? <laughs> Seemed rather but The, the answer to that it. question, and the answer to that question for everyone was, Robbie Keane. I mean, if there was another reason to go, then they might have got 35,000 people there or 40,000 people there. Jeff Hendrick came off the bench, of course, after seeding his move to the Premier League. Excuse me, £10 million man, Jeff Hendrick. To oh, yeah. full yeah. if, you're, if you're not a £10 million man or a £20 million rated star at this time of year, there's something wrong with your know, career. You've it's retired, you've <laughs> retired <laughs> for three or more years. £10 million is such a great price for Jeff Hendrick. Yeah, I actually think so as well. I mean, just considering the stupid amounts of money that, that uh, all the clubs are now spending... I mean, ah, he still has been a championship midfielder up until this point. Uh, Ten million me, pounds, star of Euro twenty sixteen, Jeff Hendrick. It's his name. Yeah, he's played a couple of very good, good, good games. Yeah. Classy player. No, I, I think he'll be decent. It's, it's crazy money, Ken. The money in the game these days. 
is I absolutely I nuts. I don't really think so. I mean, considering his, uh, what was Arsene Wenger's equation? I can't remember. He was talking about Pogba. It ended with resale value. I mean, Jeff Hendrick, what's going to happen? You know, if he plays well for Burnley, I mean, okay, he, he has to stay fit. He has had problems with injuries. That's, that is true. Um, if he stays fit, I think he's probably going to look pretty good in the Premier League. Burnley might stay up. He's got a three-year contract. So if they stay up, then he gets to renegotiate his contract or maybe get sold. If they get relegated, I'm sure he'll be sold. One way or the other, he's in the Premier League now and he gets to show what he can do, and I think he's going to be a success. What would the original million-dollar man be worth? Te- you know, Ted DiBiase. Of course. What yeah. would he be worth in the current market, do you reckon? Adjusted for inflation. Yeah, well, if he was worth a million dollars back in 1987, I'll have a look at it here. Inflation rate plus massive worldwide explosion of interest in sports entertainment. Okay, <laughs> just going to add in the changing of the then WWF to the more modern forward-thinking WWE. Of course. I'm at a zero, carry a one. Ted DiBiase, Murph, if he was wrestling today, yeah. would be the $32.1 million man. <laughs> 32.1. But would he still have Virgil at his side? I would say probably not. Well, wh- why is Virgil? Why would Virgil uh, be uh, uh, leaving, fleeing the nest? Well, he fled the nest back in the late eighties, so I don't see why he'd, why he'd come back. How do you make out that he's thirty-two point one million out? Inflation rate. Well, uh, well, that that brings it up to two hundred and ten or two two point one million. Yeah, plus massive worldwide explosion of interest in sports entertainment. Oh, uh, how do you quantify that? You double. Well, yeah, how do you quantify? You it? double it. Okay. So you get up. Uh, two. We're up to four point two million. Yeah, then you just take a little bit away for just, you know, uh, variability. And then you multiply by four for the WWE switch to WWE. Okay, well, we're up to 16 million now. By eight, sorry. For the last <laughs> uh, okay, right. so 32.1. By eight, one yeah, not inch. four. It's a part of, uh, you know, it's, it's, well, it's approximate in that it's exact. Hit it. Owen's Poems. With Owen McDevitt. Featuring the poetry of Owen McDevitt. Oh, what an yeah. absolute load of nonsense that is. Mer- right. Nonsense. Yes. Oh, I should have let the wolf finish. Anyway, it's Lyrical Gangsta. Oh, McDevitt here with a very, very special announcement. After the wonderfully warm welcome received by the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1 last year, we are beavering away on the production of the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2. And this, my poetry pals, is where you come in. Do you want the chance to see I'll your work in print? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to be forever immortalised next to, yeah, I don't know, Ken Early, the Marseille years and other such highbrow features in this book? Well then, dust that pencil down and get writing. Everybody else has penned their tributes to our departing hero of Irish football. Now it's your turn. Poems on Robbie Keane. Please email them to secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. You the, should tell them about the rules. As well. The rules. Remember, I have them right here. Sorry, okay, four okay. stanzas, four lines per stanza. Each line ends with the same sound. <laughs> so whatever word you end the first line with, you have to make sure that the last word in every line are you, are, are you suggesting every, that it be keen? Every single line of the 16 has yes. to arrive For example, keen. here's a stanza, yeah. Ken. Did you hear your man, this is from one of my efforts during the Euros, did you hear your man Marco Tardelli slagging us off on Italian telly? Says all we do is give it a welly, our brain's been replaced by fat lumps of jelly. So right. you have to do that for each each of the four stanzas. And it has to be that Ellie sound for each. No, no, no. That well, was just that Marco Tardelli. This can be, well, it can be Kino, it can be, what I'm, what Kino, I'm it can be Robbie, but you, what whatever to, you start with, you stick with. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is, once you've used it four times, can you then choose a different sound for the next verse and use that sound four times? <laughs> you have to use the same sound 16 yeah. times. Yeah. It's Owen's poems. It's Owen's poems, but why, why do the poems have to have such a restrictive that's rhyming the, that's scheme? That's the way it's always been. It's not. You know, it's, I, 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 if you, it's not you the go way. Go back to the start. 
Right back to Anton O'Toole, Dublin's Fair Jewel. It's always been like Well, that. you can do it. You can, you can, you can do a, a callback. You know, sure, the last line can echo the first. If you want to do it that way. But, for, but to have it the same for every line of the poem just seems like kind of a, a fixation, like a monomania. I'll say it for you this time on. It's owns Thanks, bro. Okay? Okay. All right. It's a poem... And owns you know, I've been listening back to some Owen's poems, right? And of I was course. trying to find that Tardelli one, for example. Yeah. I've, I can't but notice that one of our party here has never seemed to have been a firm supporter of the concept and always has an issue of some form. I don't, I don't want to go any further than that. About. You can email, uh, again, secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. I look forward to, hopefully, <laughs> an influx of, uh, of poems on Robbie Keane. Okay, loads more Robbie chat in the football podcast. We're going to have Richie Sadler in studio. U.S. Murph, a little bit later in this show, it's a mega U.S. Murph story. A San Francisco 49er is at the epicenter of a massive debate in America all week after refusing to stand for the national anthem. Colin Kaepernick said, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of colour. I can only imagine... Uh, the amount of airspace that Brian has dedicated to that story this week. So we'll get into that a little bit later on. Murph, tickets for the All-Ireland Hurling Final were available online at, at a point this week. What gives? Yeah, the tweet sent out by uh, the GA's official Twitter account yesterday uh, at around 11am uh, saying a limited number of tickets now on general sale, which I can't remember happening ever. Uh, I think that there was, I think there were there were some tickets that were sent back for the replay in 2014, again, between Kilkenny and Tipperary. Um, but it's kind of unheard of uh, that you could just go online and, and buy tickets for an All-Ireland final. Let's, and to be honest, I'm... Can I'm you a, do that now? Uh, they're sold out now. Oh. Um, but, so I don't, I don't know how limited the number was. But, I mean, I was shocked. I mean, I, I thought if after, if you'd watched the two semifinals that weekend, to think that the winners of those... The, the game between the winners of those two brilliant games wouldn't sell out Crow Park. See, well, it has sold out Crow Park. Sorry, that, uh, that yes, that it sold out, but that the interest in the two counties was not sufficient to fill to to fill the ground through the traditional means, which is basically throw them all out to all the clubs, you know, including vast numbers to the clubs in both counties. Mm-hmm. I mean, it what it suggests is that actually that the I mean, obviously, every club in the country gets tickets, but, you know, the vast majority of those tickets do go to the two counties. That just strikes me as very, very odd. Given the, given the, not just the quality of the two semifinals, but the quality of the finals that these two counties have played out over the last six or seven years. Like, with the exception of 2011, they're, you know, just absolutely brilliant, brilliant games. Yeah, it seems like it hasn't completely captured the public imagination this year. Maybe Seamus Hickey, how are your excitement levels? I'm looking forward to the contest. Um I I kind of even from this year's All Ireland semi-finals, I kind of I knew that the four best teams were there. Um, I knew that I expected anyway at least the the level of competition in the semi-finals to be really really high. Um, I wasn't exactly sure who came out of them. So regardless of who came out of them, I was actually looking forward to the All Ireland final for the contest and for what I believe is going to be an excellent hurling game. So for my interest in the game, I think it's I think it's going to be. Uh, an incredible, an incredible game. Um, a good occasion and probably a really good showcase for for the sport as it as it should be. Why do you think not everybody is seeing it that way? Then it seems uh, it, it certainly you get the feeling that um, maybe there's 
people are a bit jaded by the rivalry. I don't know. It seems yeah, strange because yeah, rivalry yeah, is what, what it's supposed to be yeah. all about, though. You could remember the end of the the sort of three in a row uh, finals between them from nine to eleven. I kind of felt like I could take this final every year because they were so good and everyone was enjoying seeing Tip trying to take down Kilkenny. Why why is there not that feeling now? I'll be honest. I don't understand, I, and I don't I don't know why people aren't embracing the the, the quality that's on show. I, I because to me. The, the finals from, from 09 right the way through were as good as games I've ever been at. And I remember people just running out of superlatives to describe, the, I suppose, the games and the actual, I suppose, the, the uncertainty of the outcome right to the end. Um, but I suppose I don't mind who's in the final as long as, as it's a good game. You know, I, and I suppose when I go to watch matches and I, when I go to, or when, when, I'm, when I'm covering them, you know, I just want a good game and I want... I want both teams to actually bring out the best in each other, and I want I want the, the hurling to be on display to be, you know, what I know it to be. Because you know, I, as as a player, you know, I'm intensely proud of the games, um, and I always feel that the All Ireland should be a showcase of the two best teams in the country playing the highest standard of hurling. Um, I think we've been spoiled in in a lot of ways um, since the the emergence of that Kenny team into the thousands because the standards have been so high. Um, and so you know what I think we have taken it for granted that um, excellent teams exist and that excellent teams trot out every year and you know the the, the fair on show is going to be you know beyond what we've seen but like you know, I, I just don't think that's realistic you know even I thought the, the All-Ireland final between Cork and Clare was a very very different All-Ireland but again it was so exciting and it was it was riddled with you know moments that you you were you're just you're not likely to forget whether it was Donovan's point, whether it was the the, the go ahead score for Cork, you know, I think all Ireland finals are defined by moments and and you know, I suppose exhibitions of of, of brilliance from individuals and then the collective, then the grit to, to grind it out. And I I think the people are, I think we've been spoiled, and I think the people are kind of fatigued with the the narrative around Tipperary and Kilkenny, and you know, I I think that for me is the reason why people aren't. Looking for, aren't looking forward to it as much as I am or as much as I know a lot of people are uh, I suppose what the rivalry really needs now is for Tipperary to win on Sunday though uh, that you that all for it to be a, a live rivalry there needs to be you know a back and forth uh, narrative to this yeah yeah and but see this comes comes to the and I'm, I've been guilty of it this year and I've been guilty of it before our, our kind of our desire to see something new outweighs whether we want to see the best team win or not, um, and and that's that's what I even found because gee, I, I was I was guilty of it in, in the lead up to the to the Waterford game with Waterford and Kenny, I didn't necessarily actually think about who's the best team here and who, who, do I think the best team should win. It was more like Jigsaw Hope Waterford win for something different, and I just, listen, you know, maybe for maybe for entertainment purposes and maybe for sentimentality, yes. That should be that. That would be the case. But like, if the best team is going to get through, the best team deserves to get through. And normally, the team that does get through is the best team. And the team that wins the All Ireland, whether it's Kilkenny or who, whether it's anybody else, is the best team and deserves to win it. Um, I've, I suppose, it's something that, that kind of flies under it, and, and people kind of they make reference to it, but without giving it the full due. Like, but do do people realize what this Kilkenny team are? And like, they're they're different. For me, they're a different kind of uh, a different model of the of the previous teams, but 
by they definitely have their own characteristics. They're an incredible bunch, like, and I don't think people get that. You know, these players, it's it's so so hard to 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 beat teams that are hungry every year, year in year out. Teams who want to beat them, like there's no team that goes out against Kilkenny who just doesn't want to beat them by a single point. They don't. All they want to do is get over the line and say they beat Kilkenny. You know, I don't think people appreciate that, and I understand. I understand in the actual the 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 fatigue and and, and I suppose the the tiredness of people see them on top the whole time, but I, I I admire the I admire the effort and what it takes to get to the top, and then I I can't even fathom the what it takes to stay at the top. So you know, I do th- I do like I I do like Tipperary's chances at the weekend, and I actually think that. I, you know, I would be back, and if I was asked who I think is going to win at the weekend, it would be Tipperary for me. But you know, that's not to knock aside the fact that I think this Kilkenny team are as good as the Kilkenny teams that have come before them. I think they are, and I think you know the, the effort they've gone through to get here from those Waterford games, and especially the first one, I, I think it's commendable. And you know, for me, it doesn't. I don't personally care who wins, but I, I think Tipperary will win. Uh, I read an interview on the the GA website with uh, Noel McGrath and his father and his father was talking about how uh now would be a good time for Tipperary to assume the mantle that uh, Kilkenny are they've they're kind of been on a downward spiral for the last couple of years yeah and I'm just reading this going oh man if Noel reads this but he was kind of talking about it as if you know now would be a good time for for Tipperary to step up and not just win on Sunday but win you know three or four All-Irelands in the next five or six years yeah. and it kind of it kind of reminded me of the you know the aftermath of the 2010 final, when everyone just presumed that Tipperary were going to, you know, go on a mad splurge of all Ireland's. It is kind of, like you're quite close to Tipperary there, like you know that kind of that kind of chat is kind of typical Tipperary dangerous chatter, even before they've won the All Ireland on Sunday. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's 100 percent typical of, of of Tipperary. It it's um, listen, I I you're you're. You're 100 percent right. I think if if Noel saw that, he'd be like, oh, "Please, like, give me a break. This is <laughs> this is not what I need coming from you." But it's it it, it is it does reflect an awful lot of the attitude in Tipperary. Tipperary always feels like they should be on top. In in my eyes, they like they there's I don't think there's a team in the country that they that they would fear, and their tradition kind of speaks to it. And I suppose all the evidence is in there. So it, it does it does permeate through. The culture in Tipperary of, the, of of their hurling, and when they're on top, they feel they should be on top, and when they're not on top, they're surprised and they're like, "Why aren't we on top?" Uh, so you know, and that's probably that's a culture that an awful lot of other places would try to replicate and try and kind of instill in their players is to have that that fearlessness about whatever team you play um, or whatever team you go up against, you know, not to be afraid of them and feel that you can beat them. Um, <laughs> personally, living on the border uh, in between Tip and Limerick, I feel it's magnified <laughs> about a dozen <laughs> times over in the, in, uh, in Tipperary. But it's uh, it's definitely it definitely it, it rings true to what they actually you know what they instill in their hurlers in Tipperary, uh, and it doesn't surprise me. Now, whether I think that they whether I think that they're poised to do it, I don't know. Um, time will tell. They have to win one before they can win two or three. Um, so. You know, they definitely have the foundation, I suppose, of, of young players coming through and the likes of the John McGraths who after popping up, the the likes of Bubbles, who was actually still quite young. You know, they still have quite... I, I, I would say that their team, the average age of their team, is still very, very good in the in the low to mid-20s for for, uh, for a team that's going to win and maybe kick on. So, you know, they probably are poised well to do that. 
You mentioned Bubbles O'Dwyer there, Seamus, and it seems like the main selection issue will surround whether to start him or... Well, I would just assume that he he would start. He had a big impact in the semi-final, and if he's ready to go, you think he would. But Lark Horbert was speaking to the media this week. He says that he thinks they should spring him from the bench again. He says, I always believe that your first forward coming on should be better than your last forward starting because you want him as a game-changer. You want him to do something that maybe hasn't been done for the first 40 minutes. What do you make of that theory? Well, to be honest, I actually read I read what Lau was saying, and, and I I see exactly what he's basing it on. Um, and I see a lot of teams, I see a lot of teams across sports that actually try to do that. I look at it, like the Dublin footballers. The the running line for a number of years was that their finishing team was stronger than what they started. You know, personally, I think that's nonsense. I I don't believe, I don't believe you ever start a team that isn't your strongest team. I I don't I don't think that's I don't think it's an option, and I don't think it's ever deliberately done. Um. But like the likes for me, right? Bubbles O'Dwyer isn't an impact player. Bubbles O'Dwyer is a top class player. He'd be Bubbles on his on I suppose on what he's proven in the last number of years is up there. And the talk at the start of the year was that Bubbles was going to cause wreck in the Intercounty Championship and he was going to do all sorts of damage. And it was just unfortunate and it was a kind of a temperament thing where you know he he reacted badly and he said to himself he reacted badly to a situation and he found his year turned up on its ear. Um. He, I think he's, I think he's one of those forwards in the country that any team would have, and that any team would love to have, um, the quality of his striking and his ability to, his ability to take scores in in positions of the field where you'd actually feel fairly comfortable, um, whether he's out on the sideline, whether he's actually 70, 80 yards from his own goal, you know, I think there are qualities that that not every player has, and if I had him. I'd be starting. Kilkenny, so, though, yeah, but we see this with Kilkenny in so many games where they get to a, they get to half time struggling a little bit, and then they just wipe away the, their opposition. Oftentimes, early in the second half. So I, I guess that's what uh, Lars getting at there that it, you, that that you have at least not that you have a load of, of your best players coming off the bench, but maybe just one star guy like there's that. Something to turn the momentum of the game back towards you after the the second half, early the third quarter onslaught from Kilkenny. Like I've seen, and like I said, I've seen it in so many sports. But like, did Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's record of coming off the bench for Manchester United in in the late nineties was was hard to believe? And uh, in the actual the cumulative minutes that he played versus his goals ratio was was incredibly, you know, it was it was unbelievable. And then he started a few games and he didn't have the same impact. But like, I look at Kevin McMenamin for Dublin, what he did to Kerry a couple of years ago. Um, coming off the bench, scoring that goal that that actually broke their hearts um, in Crow Park. I look their impact players, and I see them. They're you know, their impact was was timely. It came at the right time in the game, and it came at a point when when you introduce somebody who's fresh and has incredible ability as a person who started the game. Let's say if I'm from from my own perspective, a defender. If I'm after pouring myself out for 60 minutes to try and keep the fellow I was marking quiet for the last 10 minutes someone really fresh comes on who could do anything and you actually you know you have respect or afraid of their their talent and their capability that's not that's not a position you want to be in like if if bubbles came on the last 15 minutes uh, and I was cornerback in an all-earned final I wouldn't be too happy about it uh, because he's fresh and I'm after being emotionally drained for the previous 55 minutes but Listen, I, I don't I, I don't know him well enough. I don't know Bubbles well enough uh, to know whether his temperament suits a player coming off the bench, whether he has that that focus and drive, or whether he's a starter. He has the mindset of a starter, and anything other than that is uncomfortable. And it's a situation he really don't want to be in. So, to me, I don't think Bubbles 
I think Bubbles is a starter. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's the type of impact guy. I think that he was in the right place at the right time uh, against Galway. I, I'm not sure about his his impact when he came out. Yes, he scored the goal, but for me, it was laid up for him. The two balls that went in directly to him into the corner, he didn't win. So you know, I, I I'm not 100 sure. I wouldn't I wouldn't overstate the impact that he had coming on against Galway. To me, he's a starter, and and I would start him. Uh, one uh, aspect of the build-up this week that I haven't really liked a whole lot is the amount of talk around the appointment of Brian Gavin as referee. And Cody was asked about it at the Kilkenny press conference la- or last week, press night last week. I'd be happy with whoever is refereeing it because I can't do anything about it. If we were to start saying, oh my God, we don't, don't want him refereeing the game, that leads to a sense of you're taking your eye off the ball. But Brian is doing it and that's fine. And... James Woodlock, who only retired last year, the Tipperary player, uh, was in the media appealing for fairness. Was in the Irish Examiner. That was that was the, the phrase, you know, like appealing for fairness, as if you know it's something you need to appeal for. Uh, it's it's not a particularly nice thing to be doing, like to be pouring the the attention of the referee, pouring all of this attention onto the referee, you know, a week out from the game or ten days out from the game. I think it's bananas. I I don't understand it at all. Um, I, I don't think I don't think it matters regardless. Even for players, like I don't think we give a flying toss who referees the game, unless unless they're thinking about the 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 only incident I can think of is when Tommy Walsh clocked Brian Gavin on the nose, and nothing seemed to be done about it. Does everybody seem to focus on that and, and say that it was lenient on Kilkenny or something? I, I like Tipper, I don't understand yeah, tip, where it's coming tip, from. Yeah, I, I don't I don't out. have too many incidents in my head where Kilkenny received favorable treatment from referees. I don't. I don't have that many um, controversial moments from all Ireland finals, all Ireland semi-finals that the referee clearly favoured Kilkenny, and, and I don't think it exists. And I don't think any referee has a natural bias towards a team. And I've I've played, I've played under Brian with Brian Gavin refereeing matches, and you know, he's a referee. Some days, some days it could go well for you. Some days it could go bad for you. But you know, I don't think it's. I don't think it's. It, I don't think it's ever intentional. And I, and I think talk about referees is. It's misguided, and and oftentimes it's from a team who feels, to me, it, it, especially from the likes of Woodlock and, and those boys, you know, it feels to me like they're looking for excuses for the games even played. Okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see if anything happens from the ref's point of view, but uh, I'm still not 100% sure which way you're swaying. Are you thinking, are you thinking Tipper are going to do it? I, I, feel, I feel like Tipper, I've, I said this all along, um, I, I want to be consistent at least. I think Tipperary are the best team uh, in the championship. I think that they're the best starting, the best fifteen, and I think they've got some really, really good good players to come on. Whether it's Omara, whether it's Bubbles, whether it's um, Heffernan or any of those boys. So, I think I think Kilkenny are the better team. Or sorry, excuse me, I stand corrected. Tipperary are the better team. Um, Kilkenny are, are proven, yeah, proven on the on the stage. But uh, I would back Tipperary for this one. All right. Well, listen, Seamus, uh, enjoy the game. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Man. I it's one of those things. Stop it! How many players can do this? Duffman can never die. He's 34 years old. It's one of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. No, he did. No, he did. Questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh yeah. He's got more of a tandem, maybe.
Can we go back to the referee stuff there? I thought uh, Seamus was well, interesting on mo- most questions there, as he usually is. But, uh, you know, he reckons that's... Uh, Come on, Tip. Like, why is Woodlock making these points about the referee in advance of the game? But I want to talk about Cody, Murph, because you kind of referenced there that Cody was asked almost for a tacit approval of the referee. Uh, yeah. And I know this is the centerpiece of your column this week. Full force of Cody's will to win revealed when stakes are highest. You think he that there's something to be told about the Brian Cody story through the prism of how he talks about refs? Yeah, well, I mean, the, we all remember what happened after the 2014 replay where he savaged Barry Kelly in the media even though Barry Kelly hadn't even refed the replay. He refed the first game, had given Tipperary the opportunity uh, for John O'Dwyer to hit a point to win the game. I remember the, if we all remember the, the Hawkeye call that went against Tipperary. Um, but he sat on that for 21 days and then came out and said that it was criminal what had happened uh, in the in the drone game. And I thought it was just about the most revealing thing that Cody had ever said to the media. Because, you know, as I say in the, in the paper, I mean, the... Most of the time, Cody is in front of the media trying to tell you that Wexford and Offaly are still as good as they were in the 1990s. You know, like just, you know, complete uh, uh, filler for the media. Uh, but when he came out and said that, I mean, it was extraordinary. But what's extraordinary since is that he didn't get punished and Barry Kelly hasn't refed a Kilkenny Championship game since. Um, so from his point of view, it was a free shot that paid off absolutely handsomely in that if he thought Kelly had a problem with, with Kilkenny... He's managed to, you know, basically ensure that he doesn't ref Kilkenny games anymore. So now when he's asked to comment on referees, automatically it's, you know, the there's an edge to it. You know, that like, okay, Brian Gavin meets our approval. He's refed quite a number of games between Kilkenny and Tipperary. Uh, and it's just kind of escalated the whole thing because as we were saying to Seamus there, James Woodlock is coming out saying... Uh, appealing for uh, fairness, yeah. Appealing for fairness, but also making a point that no Munster referee has... Uh, refereed in Ireland final since 2010, um, and you know it's I'm sure it's a red herring. You know I'm you know I, I don't think there's there are any referees out there that you know consciously or unconsciously really favour a given team, and I, I don't think that Kilkenny necessarily get massive favouritism from from referees, but just the idea that it's being brought into the conversation before games is I, you know I don't I don't like it a whole lot. But Cody is managing to to wield his power in the way that he, he can. You know, he's obviously a very, very powerful man in the GA, and, you know, he's maybe pushing the edges of what he can achieve through that power. Time now for... Well, it's actually first of all time, before we get to US Murph Camp, you to tell us what's in today's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them up with. What you're doing down here, you surely, man. (laughs) Well, it was transfer deadline day yesterday. Uh, The spending went over a billion pounds. Very proud moment for everybody. <laughs> and uh, so we'll talk a little bit about who, who, some of the players that changed uh, hands on the last day and also um, changed hands. Should I say that? It almost sounds like they're slaves. Um, changed clubs. <laughs> change hands. Sorry about that. Uh, but we'll talk a bit about that. Richie Sider is going to come in and we'll talk a bit about Ireland as well. Obviously, it's an international uh, <laughs> break. 
So we'll talk about Ireland. We'll talk more Robbie, I'm sure, with, with Richie Sadler. Oh, God, we'll talk more Robbie. <laughs> yeah, Fare- I hope you haven't got farewell, Robbie fatigue yet. Farewell, Robbie. <laughs> Robbie will be back on, like, almost immediately. You know what I mean? It, it kind of feels a bit strange to be, goodbye, Robbie, when you know that actually he's going to be back and maybe for decades. You know what I mean? Um, we're he's actually, not going to manage Ireland for decades. I mean, if he's managed Ireland for decades, so that means we're having a pretty good run of things. You don't know. Who knows? I mean, you don't know what's, you don't know how things are going to evolve in the future. FAI th- Chief Executive Robbie Keane? <laughs> <laughs> At the moment, the Ireland job is, you know, one of the best paid jobs in international football. Might not always necessarily be that way. It might be limited to sort of gentlemen, amateurs, men of private uh, means <laughs> who, who can afford to uh, work. And Robbie Keane's definitely one of those. Now so. it's time for US Murphy. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Got Touchdown! Touchdown, Gordon! Ryan Murphy, how are you this week? I am uh, outstanding. I'm 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 pondering what I see by the dawn's early light. Uh, if I hailed it at the twilight's last gleaming, and uh, all the other lyrics to our fabulous Star Spangled Banner. That's what I'm thinking about this morning, guys. How are you, boys? How are you? Oh, we're good. We're good, and I think we know why you're considering what the. Anthem is all about and what what it represents, Brian. This Colin Kaepernick, uh, I don't know what you call it, story Farago? controversy, Farago. Is this one of the bigger stories you guys have had over the last number of years? You know what's incredible is that it's so big that nobody has dropped the ever annoying and uh, just way too ubiquitous suffix gate on it. You know, ever since Watergate in in the early 70s, You've had everything's gate, you know, whatever, uh, deflate gate with Tom Brady, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, no, this one has, got, has caused up such um, strong emotions on both sides that nobody has diminished it by calling it cap gate or anthem gate. Uh, that's how serious this one is, that it's standing on its stone. But is it one of the biggest stories we've had in years? God, you know, it's funny because in this day and age with social media and, and everything, you start thinking through the stories that have come, whether it's a Ryan Lochte, you know. Or, or things that we have talked about on this show periodically, Tom Brady, for example, at the aforementioned. But I would say that, yeah, I mean, maybe they always talk, talk about currency bias, where the thing that's happening to you right now is the most important thing. But I would say for right now, it is about as hot a story as we've had in some time because, obviously, of the incredibly fundamentally – the fundamentally substantive issues it raises about patriotism – and flag and anthem, which I think can apply to almost any country, not just the United States. But when you throw in the racial angle and the history of race in this country, and you throw in the 2016 video craze that we're seeing way too frequently, the amount of viral videos of police killings of people of color, you throw all those in the pot, you throw, hell, you throw in a Donald Trump in there too. And, and you basically have one of the biggest 
non-sports stories that is a sports story of all time, like a sociological story. I mean, we've gone through this with, you know, athletes maybe coming out and and trying to fight for rights for homosexuals or same-sex marriage or whatever. But the bottom line is this one I think affects every single person out there in some way. So the answer is yes. <laughs> it's big, yeah. Take, can you take us into the nuts and bolts of it then, Brian? Uh, what was the – I presume is a reasonably insignificant preseason game when – Colin Kaepernick decides that he's not going to stand. He's going to sit while the national anthem is being played. Was it noticed straight away on TV? Did it become uh, something that was picked up on afterwards? And when did he start explaining himself? It's definitely the latter. That's one of the more curious aspects of this story is that it didn't it didn't break for a while. In fact, Colin Kaepernick, this is their third preseason game, and he, we found out later he sat for all three. Right. And it was almost like... He was like over there on the bench with his arm up like, hey, guys, look at me. I'm over here. I'm sitting down. But nobody noticed because there's so many bodies on the sideline of an NFL game. Not just the in a preseason game, you have as many as 90 players suited up. Then you have about 20 coaches. Then you have about 20 equipment staff and trainers and everything. I mean, it's a it's a gosh darn train station down there on the side of an NFL sideline. So you could easily lose amongst the benches and the Gatorade Gatorade uh, containers and the, and all the coaches and equipment, you could easily lose the sight of one person sitting, which happened. Nobody saw Kaepernick sit for the first two games. And then finally in week three, they played on Friday night against the Green Bay Packers here at wonderful Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California. And he didn't, he sat and nobody noticed it, guys. He, t- he played, he talked to reporters after the game about his play. I'm sure he was sitting there waiting for somebody to ask him about sitting for the anthem, and nobody did. And finally on Saturday morning, uh, a website called Pro Football Talk, which is kind of a gossipy NFL website run by a guy named Mike Florio, he procured a picture and said Colin Kaepernick sat during the national anthem to protest racial oppression, more to come. So somebody leaked it to him. It was either Cap's camp, Kaepernick's camp, saying basically – Hey, can we get some traction here? We're trying to do something. Or it was the 49ers saying, hey, look what our guy's doing. Doesn't this piss you off or something like that? So we don't know which side leaked it to Florio, but he finally got it. And guys, it was Saturday morning. I woke up. I checked my phone. And the first tweets were really just kind of starting. So that was Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Picture a match being touched to a a, a field of dry grass. And that was Saturday morning at 7 a.m. And here we are now all these days later, and that field is still raging with flames. Well, just uh, when he started talking publicly about it then, once the, whatever way it came about, he says, I'll continue to sit. Well, he said, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of colour. He later says, I'm going to continue to sit. Uh, I'm going to stand with the people that are being oppressed to me. This is something that has to change. And when there's significant change, and I feel like that flag represents what it's supposed to represent in this country, then I'll stand. So he, he seems to have doubled down on his position and he's he's hammered the cops as well. You know, he's talked about police brutality and all this kind of thing. So he he's re- he's really making a, a point here, Brian. You said that you mentioned the term both sides earlier on there. Is this something that's just like, how, many, how many nuances are there to this or is it just polarized people? Uh, some saying that he's he's correct and some saying that he's wrong. Now, I say both sides. There's really three sides to it, really. There's, I mean, if something can be three-sided, maybe a triangle. Uh, we have what you would see as your obvious reaction, which is kind of the, the, the conservative Americans who 
Harkening back to the Vietnam era, there's there's sort of echoes of the Vietnam era in this, in that right away there is a large segment of the population that just won't stand for it whatsoever. You don't disrespect the flag. You don't sit during the national anthem. This is the United States of America, as Donald Trump himself said on his when asked about it. I mean, he literally played the Vietnam era card. Love it or leave it. I mean, that's what he used to say in the, in the late 60s and early 70s when all the hippies were protesting the Vietnam War, the first time America had ever really dealt with rebellion against a military endeavor. You know, World War II, the greatest generation. You never saw any of that stuff. And so, you know, the hippies were told there was a bumper sticker, America, love it or leave it. And so obviously that's you can see that argument has its flaws. It's not very open minded by definition. It's a it's it's giving you two choices. Right. So that segment of the population represents represents one side. The other side of the population was, you know, your your ACLU types, your your very those who come with an open mind and say, hey, civil liberties are civil liberties. The very the very purpose of this country and the very purpose of that flag and the anthem is his right to express himself however he wants without condemnation from the government, without being jailed, without being, you know, without uh, repercussions from legal authorities, which has happened in, you know, other maybe more backward countries. I don't know, Myanmar or wherever you want to talk, Sudan, terrible places, you know. So there was the other side saying, yeah, this is perfect. This is America. Do what you want. You're you're, You're guaranteed your right to free speech. And then the third arm of it, which has really taken a couple days to come about, is sort of the more nuanced side, which is those who are on either side of the fence saying, but I'm willing to listen to your side too. Um, I always like to kind of point to you guys something. There's a, a, a link to a young man who was a Green Beret who's from the Bay Area named Nate Boyer. He wrote a nice open letter to Colin Kaepernick. I'm not saying it's like brilliant, but it's a, it's a nice look into that middle ground. He's a veteran who really believes in honoring the flag and honoring the military who have died in this country, just like any country that's ever gone to war, monitoring those who get, quote, guaranteed your freedoms by giving their life. And that's what a lot of people view the national anthem as. Not everybody, but a lot of people do. So by sitting during that, he's disrespecting veterans. But this Green Beret, Nate Boyer is his name, and I put it on my Twitter feed, uh, at KMBR Murph. You can read it if you want. And it, it represents him saying, okay, but I'm willing to listen to you, Colin. I understand that maybe my view isn't shared by you, and maybe I need to understand more about what black Americans feel about police brutality or what black Americans feel about the star spangled banner. So that would be the third arm of it, that there is a little bit of a dialogue going on, which is I think what Colin Kaepernick wants to create in the first place. And then you can get into the whole aspect of how productive are national dialogues. Does anything come out of it or are people just entrenched on either side? There's really a lot going on. I mean, there's other things too, including the the song itself, the star spangled banner written by Francis Scott key during the war of 1812 which I've always thought was a bad melody and a bad song to begin with. I've always advocated for Ray Charles's version of America the Beautiful to be our national anthem. Lights out, the best. We wouldn't be having this problem. Of course, we'd still have problems in this country, but the anthem wouldn't be discussed. But that anthem, Francis Scott Key, he was a known, uh, he was, a, he was uh, what's the word? Well, I guess he was a racist. In the third verse of the national anthem, he resp- he makes refer- reference to killing the slaves who went to go fight for the British during the War of 1812 because they were escaped slaves fighting for their freedom. That is a, a verse that nobody ever sings. In fact, most white Americans, like myself, didn't even know it existed until people defending Kaepernick brought it up. So they're saying, hey, this song itself has been a problem. In fact, we had black Americans calling our show saying that song is never not for me. They flat out say that song is not for me. I'm with Cap. I'm with Cap. So 
there is a lot going on. And, you know, where is there an end game to this? You know, as far as you bring it up in your question on that, you know, he says, I'll stand when this flag stands for what's right. I mean, boy, you want to talk about the ultimate open ended statement, mm. bro. I mean, I, as I said on our show, you want to talk about how long this goes on? How about going back to 1492 when Christopher Columbus, quote unquote, discovers America and there's a T-shirt that you can get in more um, liberal hippie, you know, T-shirt stores that has a picture of a bunch of Native Americans. And it says underneath it, Homeland Security since 1492. Right. I mean, that's like you want to talk about what the flag is represented. We go all the way back to the oppression and the slaughter of Native Americans literally almost 600 years ago. So when Colin Kaepernick says, I'll stand when things get right, I'm going to leave that kind of open-ended, guys. Uh, We ask uh, you all the time about uh, sports people who protest and uh, how how Americans have reacted to to what, uh, in light of what Kaepernick has done, seems quite mild levels of protest. Is there an argument about... Kaepernick's right to protest or is there an argument about what Kaepernick has the exact method of protest that Kaepernick has uh, gone down here no it's more the method Uh, I think even those even those who are enraged by it and there are those who are enraged by it none of them denies him his right to do that that's like you know that you'd be you know thrown in jail or arrested if they thought he was breaking the law there's no denying that But some people view that even though you're guaranteed that right to express free speech and there's no law that says you have to stand during the national anthem, nor is there even an NFL policy. They simply say in the NFL, we recommend it, but we don't require it. The most people there's a lot of people out there on that first arm that I argued in the triangle there of of love it or leave it that say, even though you're guaranteed that right, that's not a right you should ever exercise. Because and they have various reasons, you know, a the one I went over the military people died for your freedoms. There's the B. Hey, it's our time to be a team together. You should never, you know, don't you're, you're being counterproductive by protesting something when there is a moment of unity, when we can all say, let's strive towards a more perfect union or whatever. So so no, no, nobody is nobody is saying he can't do it. But there are a segment of the argument is saying you should never do that. You're disrespecting the flag. You're disrespecting the military who died for you. That doesn't include me, by the way. I mean, I'm like you guys could probably predict. I was right out of the gate saying, well, listen, I mean, that's the beauty, right? You can your country guarantees you your right to do this and you'll take whatever repercussions there are. And that was brought up to him, which is, you know, this might make you toxic in the NFL. Let's just talk Turkey here, guys. This Chip Kelly and the 49ers are trying to rebuild a a struggling franchise. They're trying to win a game. They don't have a very good team. And now they got this on their hands. Now they got an essay question about patriotism and the flag. I mean, these guys are these coaches and these general managers in the NFL did not get into the business to be sociologists. They got in the business to win football games. So Kaepernick is clearly, clearly making himself toxic in NFL circles where they just want to win football games, period. End of story. Save the sociology for your for your master's degree, you know, at Harvard or whatever. So not to mention, guys, the other aspect of this whole deal is that his play has regressed mightily. He looked very bad in his first preseason game. He has another one on Thursday night in San Diego, which is a whole other story because that's a huge military town. And interestingly and almost hilariously in a tragic kind of way, that game has been set as a salute to the 
military game. They're going to have 240 armed services representing the Navy, the Army, the uh, the Marines, and the Coast Guard on the field for the pregame anthem. They're going to unveil a football-sized American flag, and a young chief petty officer from the U.S. Navy is going to sing the national anthem. And Kaepernick's going to sit. I guess if oh as it God. goes, he's gonna sit right in front of this kid as he's singing the anthem. Some kid who's giving his time and his money and his he's not out chasing a tech job. He's not out, you know, living in his mom's basement and just smoking pot all day. Some kid serving the country is gonna be out there singing the anthem and Cap's gonna be like, I'm sitting right here, dude. I don't believe in you. So this whole thing could ratchet up again on Thursday. I'm sure it will, Brian. And I read that he could be playing his last game for the club anyway. As you say, his powers have waned a lot. He was a, one of the top young players when we first started talking to you about him a few years back. But there, I, I don't know how true these rumours are that he's kind of in and around the cut line there at the club, which makes it all the more astonishing, really, that he's chosen now to make a stand like he's, like he's made. Very true. And, and in fact, I had to write a little thing for KMBR.com and I was saying ultimately that might make this a short lived argument because he might just disappear from the scene pretty soon. There's a scenario in which in a few weeks, guys, he's not on any NFL team. That's I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's a possibility. And all of a sudden this thing kind of gets rendered to the dustbin of history. You know, this actually happened once before. Twenty years ago, there was a basketball player named Chris Jackson, good player out of LSU was playing for the Denver Nuggets, and then he converted to Islam, changed his name to Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, and then he announced, he says, that that flag represents tyranny. That flag represents oppression, and I'm not going to stand for it. It was, a, it was a kerfluffle, as you might imagine, and the NBA was not about, they, they reacted harshly. They, they suspended him for a game. They fined him a huge amount of money. They eventually reached a compromise where they said he could pray during the anthem, so he would hold out his hands in sort of a Muslim prayer during that, but he was out of basketball within two years. And he thinks, and I don't know how true it is, but he thinks that his stance made him toxic in NBA front offices. They're like, we need this. And well, I don't need this in our office. We're just trying to win a basketball game. And all of, all of a sudden, 20 years later, nobody talks about it until people go, oh, yeah, I remember that. So is that what's going to happen to Colin Kaepernick? Because listen, if Tom Brady does this or Aaron Rodgers or Cam Newton, guys who are at the top of their game, guys who are guaranteed to be in the spotlight and on national TV every week on Thursday night football, Monday night football, Sunday night football. We've got a whole different kettle of fish. But now we're talking about a guy who's lost his way as a quarterback, who's playing poorly, and who may not even be in the league a year from now. And you wonder then how long the message will last because of that. So, yeah, as you said, Owen, the timing is curious. Some people link it to, and we can't totally confirm this, but it's highly – uh, circumstantial evidence that it's linked to his relationship with this young woman named Nessa, a DJ named Nessa, who worked here at a radio station in San Francisco. She actually was dating another 49er named Alden Smith, who was a great pass rusher who had his own share of problems. And then the story was that she, she Kaepernick broke them up and she started dating Kaepernick, which led to a fight at practice between Alden Smith and Kaepernick. Nobody could ever confirm it. It was all heavily rumored, but the circumstantial evidence was mighty that this was the case. Because if you look at his Instagram, it used to be nothing but vanity shots, his ESPN nude, the magazine shots, his fashion stuff in GQ. And if you go back about mm, six, eight months on his Instagram, all of a sudden there's a 180 and there's no more vanity shots. And it's all Malcolm X quote after Malcolm X quote after Malcolm X quote. And you're like, whoa, this guy took a serious change in his tack. And this woman, DJ Nessa, is a Black Lives Matter activist. And there's many people who feel like she's kind of say has turned his mind around a little bit 
Also, he's gone vegan for her, which is a whole other deal. And, and he's very, very skinny now, but he insists, of course, that that's not the case. It's because he's been injured. He hasn't been able to lift weights. Other people are saying he's gone vegan and he's gone activist for her. How true that is, there's probably a degree of truth to it. And uh, and that's why maybe the, the timing of this, while curious in terms of his talent and depth chart status, is more linked to maybe what's going on in his personal life right now. Brian, so many angles, so many angles to this story. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Listen, we'll probably have to leave it there. We'll be talking all day. Great stuff. Thanks a million. We, we might follow it up next week. Yeah, we could do it. Let's like set aside a nice two to three hour U.S. Murph segment <laughs> and we can get into it. So uh, for now, we'll leave it at that. Good talking to you, boys. Brian's been getting <laughs> getting yeah. stuck into all week. Too big a story for the suffix gate to be added to it. I like that. Yeah. It's, I like uh, that. They're taking it seriously this time. Oh. Yeah. No Kaepernick gate. In fact, don't even, don't even raise it. Uh, yeah, sorry you for- should go on if you're a Twitter user. You should check out the hashtag veterans for Kaepernick. Um, because in the last 24 hours or so, uh, literally thousands of military personnel have uh, gone on Twitter to say, right, say what you like about Colin Kaepernick, but under no circumstances bring in the veterans into this because we want no 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 part of it. Uh, don't use my service or that of any veteran to justify the silencing of black Americans not on my watch. Hashtag veterans for Kaepernick. How do I explain to them that I defend a country that won't defend me? Uh, uh, veterans for Kaepernick. It's re- it, there's actually some really, really good stuff in it. Uh, how I drive back home, a photograph of, a, uh, of a, a black member of the military wearing his military flak jacket, flak jacket. How I drive back home because I fear dressed as a civilian if I get pulled over I may die. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, this is by no means uh, going away. Like, the, 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 the old Colin Kaepernick might go away. This issue might not. 
That's the uh, US Murph was telling us. It was, uh, well, that's decent support for him to be getting today, given that he's on the way to San Diego, as Murph said, to play in the middle of this, as US Murph said, to play in the middle of this whirlwind of patriotism and, and you know, yeah, military right. pageantry and all the rest of it again. Mm. I don't know what you make of Kaepernick's stance. Uh, I, p- I pity him having to go there and do that. Um, but, you know, he knew what he was getting into, I assume. You don't, you can't do this kind of thing and expect, um, uh, and expect to get away with it, you know, in the sense of for people to go, you know, Colin Kaepernick's actually making a, a really good point. We do have this serious issue with police brutality in this country. And by the way, the Constitution defends your right to, you know, say what you like in this country. That's not the way it works, you know. Um, it's it's not it's not a rational it's not a rational thing. I mean, Colin Kaepernick has put himself into the category traitor as far as you know, solid forty percent of Americans are concerned. Um, so uh, they, it's not as though they're going to recognize what he's doing as, you know, the reasonable, like a, a reasonable protest, which is the right of any American citizen. That's just not the way they look so at it. So do you not applaud him all the more for that, knowing that he's going to take all that flack and that his career could, the, the end of his career could be hastened by all this? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you listen to the, the side that's condemning Colin Kaepernick, they'll tell you that his career was finishing anyway, and he's just doing this to get some attention. Yeah. Um, his career is tanked. He's trying to scare his the the club, not the club. What do you call the franchise? It? Franchise. He's trying to scare them from cutting him because he's uh, uh, now they're afraid that oh, it's like a sensitive political issue, and if they, you know, you know this kind of stuff. So that's that's just sort of what just automatically gets generated. It's not it's not a rational response. It's just an automatic. It's like a reflex response. Colin Kaepernick is a traitor now. And um, you know, you, I mean, there was a, there was a good tweet I saw the other day. I can't I can't remember who it was by, but someone had written something like, um, you know, white people, colon, uh, black people need to protest uh, quietly. You know, black man sits down quietly during national anthem. White people say, no, not like that. <laughs> <laughs> so really, it doesn't you know, it doesn't matter. Um, it, I mean, I, I think that it's totally reasonable to do uh, what he's doing. But uh, he's not going to get a fair hearing, um, and I, and I hope that he knew that before he started. Sorry for all the Skype notification noises there during a chat with US Murph. By the way, where I think just word got around that this US Murph slot in particular was super hot this week, and mm. more and more people started getting online. Maybe Mark Horgan forgot to turn off notifications. Yeah, it's Mark's fault. Basically, yeah. is what we're trying to say here. I'm just trying to sugarcoat it in some way that makes it palatable for our listeners. It's Mark's fault. <laughs> yeah. Before we go, uh, I just want to point you in the direction of Shane Lowry's Irish Times column this week. It's uh, it's worth a read. He's been overlooked for a wildcard pick for the Ryder Cup by Darren Clark. Clark went for Thomas Peters from Belgium, Lee Westwood, and Martin Keimer as his three wildcards. I'm always a sucker for the details of these stories, Murph. How did, how did he break the bad news, kind of thing? Uh, quite a direct fashion, apparently, in this case. So this is Lowry. I listened to what Darren says, and I accept it. He said he couldn't pick me with everything that was after happening in Denmark at the weekend. That was, he shot it, went to Denmark to try to win the tournament and kind of put himself back in contention and hit an opening round 75, which he actually recovered from quite well, but I presume he's talking about the 75. So anyway, Darren says that he couldn't pick me with everything that was happening in Denmark at the weekend, that my own form over the last couple of months hadn't been good enough. He told me he'd want me in the team all year, but I didn't perform when I needed to. And at the end of the day, that's my, my own fault. Darren was right. I didn't perform when it mattered. I suppose you've got to admire the directness of Darren yeah. Clark there. He's not he's giving it the old, well, yeah, you know, do you reckon you've... you've really the and kidney approach, basically, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, there's, there's a kind of deck and kidney, let's play some mind games here. Uh, do you think you should be in the squad? 
you know, as he pretty much said to O'Gara, uh, and maybe more players than that. But no, yeah, this this was direct. Almost is it too direct though. You would have been in the team if you hadn't screwed up. Is what he's no. What I, he's I think uh, I think Laurie will if he doesn't already appreciate it. He will appreciate that in time. That, that at least there's a level of honesty there, and there's not a oh, you know, if I if I could, I would kind of thing. Well, I mean, well, he uh, Clark did say that, but I mean, at least he he just said you weren't good enough he at the times that mattered, there, yeah. and, that, and like I mean, Shane knows that anyway, probably. But the the tone of the column is is very down. You know, it it does seem like it uh, that he Larry had focused on the Ryder Cup to a huge degree this year, and when it didn't ha- happen for him, it's really disappointing. I mean, I'm, I'm, by the end of it, I was glad to read that he's taken a couple of weeks off. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It was sort yeah, of it's thinking, really God, this guy really needs a, yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks off, and. The last couple of lines is, I'm taking five weeks off, which I think is probably the right way, the, the right call. All right, have a listen to our football podcasts, more Robbie chat and transfer transfer deadline news. Thanks very much, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Karen. Thank thanks you, Owen. Thanks for listening. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 